Welcome to Dragon Talk. I am Greg Tito, your host. I'm joined by a not Shelly. I am. I'm a not Shelly. Every once in a while, I get to join you guys. It's uh, it's Trevor Kidd, the not Shelly. <laughs> and we are staring at Shelly by saying we're not Shelly. That's right. She's not even take, here right now. Take that. Not. Well, take that, Shelly. Crap. Crap. <laughs> Do over. No. Don't. We have uh, an amazing guest uh, on the show today, Mr. David Eddings. Yes, not the fantasy writer, because that would be very difficult. No, and uh, uh, not the uh, bluegrass guitar player. No, the the he... awesome voice of Claptrap. That's over, right. Over from Borderlands. I'll... That. That David, a big time D and D fan, uh, playing in multiple games right now, uh, is what he seemed to say. Yes, uh, and uh, uh, I, I just a, an interesting video game luminary in a way. Yeah, it's 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 the 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 people he's been exposed to because of his life and his work and all sorts of other stuff. His family, it's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I wasn't expecting all of that. So. Very interesting. Yeah, um, we uh, it is uh, holiday time here in. Dungeons and Dragons land, uh, so always good to get nerds uh, and other DMs on your list. Some amazing D&D products. Mm-hmm. Uh, Storm King's Thunder is still flying off the shelves. Uh, For sure. It's an amazing adventure dealing with adventures that come and take uh, uh, things away from giants, and giants get mad at that. Yeah. And there's also uh, something that I've just picked up a few of to give to my friends. Uh, is the uh, DM screen for Storm King's Thunder. Ooh. Has, not only has the cool art on it, but it's also got all the stuff for Storm King's Thunder. Yeah, so. Gale Force 9 did a good job with that one. They did. Very good job. Yeah. Uh, Dungeonology is a great gift yes. you can throw out there to uh, the little kids. Yeah. Um, it's like an intro to Dungeons & Dragons kind of like as a concept uh, and as through lore. Uh, yeah. You get to learn about the Forgotten Realms. Uh, there's lots of like pop-ups and uh, uh, little bits and bobs. I've, uh, I've been using that phrase a lot. Yeah. I think I got that from Adam Lee. He uses bits and bobs a lot. He uses a lot of like what I would call more uh, uh, generational phrases from before yeah. us, and I'm like, you're in my age, yeah, but you have all happen? these cool older phrases. It, it sounds cu- cool when you he say cut it. all his hair off. I, I saw that it was like a little bit poofier, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, oh. yeah. He, uh, he so had, now you all know that uh, the, the the quaffed nature. Of, of Adam now, because we've, we've told you. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and he actually uh, contributed a lot uh, to the lore uh, in Dungeonology, uh, working with Matt Forbeck. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check out the Dragon Talk episode we had with Matt Forbeck uh, oh, great uh, to, to learn more uh, about all that. It's another great episode that I wasn't in, because Shelly and Tito pretty much run It's this one thing. of the best ones that you're not in, I'm going to have to say. Well, they're all good. All the, <laughs> all, all the ones that I'm not in are good. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, audience, you got to put up with me. Um, but not I would agree that Dungeonology, uh, I would say the same thing. Uh, good for kids, good for just people that, that are good that are you know relate like they like D anD D, but also like as a, as a cool resource that you give to someone like a like oh look you find this thing that Volo's written in in game or whatever because there's definitely some notes in there from from Volo. And speaking of Volo Thamp Gedarn, mm-hmm. uh, Volo's Guide that. to Monsters is out there in the world. Uh, it's uh, it, it's it's doing really well. Let's just probably say. my favorite book that we've done. A lot of people out there it. have uh, have glommed onto it. It's got it's got some uh, monster lore. It's got monster entries to spice up your game. It's got player races, mm-hmm. uh, some of which are monstrous and some of which are angelic. Yeah, and if you want to see a couple of those races in play, you can actually go to our YouTube channel. Yes, uh, we'll just look up, just look for D and D. You'll find it. Uh, and there's Force Gray. The last episode was this live game that we did in LA recently, uh, and two of the players that joined us. I'm going to butcher the name. So, Tito, the two players that joined us that were new for that were... Uh, were Emily V. Gordon yes. and Dylan Sprouse. Dylan Sprouse. And yes, they both had uh, characters that were monsters yes. from Photos Guide. That's did, right. They Emily, did a great job with those. Emily played uh, Skirt of Snakes, yes. uh, which was a tabaxi uh, mm-hmm. and a sorcerer. And Dylan played a furbog druid. Yeah, who exploded somebody in by transforming in their body. Yes, so. a, a porcupine. It was very grisly. Yeah. Not trying to ruin too much of that for you, but yes. it was an awesome show. Go, I can't believe that it. was only like a week ago. Yeah. I know. We're recording this the Monday after that. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, crazy. Good good, good point to go yeah. watch those. You'll see it in action, as well as Matt Mercer uh, and uh, the other players from Force Gray. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, there's still a whole bunch of other stuff, D&D-related gifts you can buy. I think some awesome stocking stuffers uh, would be those spell cards. That uh, oh, Gale, God. Gale Force Nine did. Yeah, and they those use are, those like crazy during the game. Yeah, those are awesome uh, miniatures from WizKids. Uh, the, the, the small blind boxes for for uh, um, the Storm Giants. Yeah, Thunder were, were, were also great. And they're still easily gettable. So, I mean, there's a lot of small D and D things you can stuff in a stocking. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, dice, anything, make it happen. Uh, so, without uh, any more uh, uh, gift ideas, yes. we're gonna dump right into some lore. Uh, this is actually a lore you should know segment that I recorded with Matt and Chris 
a while ago. Uh, it's about something that is near and dear uh, to many of the Forgotten Realms purists out there. It's about uh, the Sundering. What oh. happened after the Spellblade and uh, kind of the idea of the stories behind uh, what it means to be a chosen of a deity nice. and uh, all about the deities of the Forgotten Realms. Ooh. So it's a deep one. There's a lot more going in there. Uh, and then uh, we'll have our interview with David Evans after that. Perfect. All right. Let's do it. Welcome to Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, but you might know that already. I'm joined by two fantastic gentlemen. Uh, Mr. Matt Cernan, it has returned. Indeed, from my long journeys. And uh, Mr. Chris Perkins, hello. Yep, hello. And uh, you may not know this, Chris, but we're going to start talking about uh, the gods after the sundering. Mm. Uh, what the sundering, where things got sundered and put back together. Exactly. Uh, the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, so maybe we'll just uh, start there. What, uh, what, what happened leading up to the sundering and uh, uh, during the sundering and then after the sundering? <laughs> the rules changed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so th- for those who don't know, the sundering is a period in FR lore nestled uh, between 4th and 5th edition. Uh, It was sort of prophesied. Um, It represents the end to the age of upheaval, which we'll talk about, and basically played out in a series of six novels that started with R.A. Salvatore's The Companions Mm -hmm. and ended with Ed Greenwood's The Herald. Yep, and and the... The vision for the the Sundering um, was beyond the sort of story elements of what happens in those individual novels is that the the world uh, is basically um, thrown into chaos uh, once again by in part by Ao uh, the Over God and then he comes in again at the end and kind of sews things back up. So that's that's kind of a backdrop element. Uh, I've mentioned Ao before because he's one of my favorite characters of FR lore. Um, but we'll have to do a whole a whole episode uh, of Louis Chanel on him too. So uh, yeah, that's that's the backdrop of that that story. But then the the the, the details are revealed in the novels. So beyond the rules changing, what uh, what what shifted? What uh, tone was different from? Because when I read Forgotten Realms books, uh, uh, some of them by Ed Greenwood, the Waterdeep uh, yeah. series and the the Avatar series. That was my idea of what the Forgotten Realms was about, was that, there, that gods were able to come into the Forgotten Realms and exert their influence. Yes, and they, they did meddle greatly um, in, in various eras of Forgotten Realms history. So the spirit of the Sundering was that we wanted to bring back into the realms things that had been lost over time. Several of the gods had, had disappeared or been killed off or whatnot. Uh, and... In, in sort of brainstorming the idea of Ao basically rewriting the Tablets of Fate and these two worlds of Abir and Toril sort of separating and the return of Mistra and the, the reconstruction of the Weave, uh, that the Sundering is really uh, a statement about where we want to take the realms going forward, which is the gods are around, but at the end of the Sundering, they withdraw from the world to an extent, mm. and basically usher in what could be considered an age of mortals, where the fate and future of the world will really be decided by the people in it, not by the gods. Um, Bouncing around and doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the Avatar Crisis is a great example because prior to the Avatar Crisis, um, the role of the gods in the realms was uh, pretty loosey-goosey and, and largely distant. I mean, the, the novels that came out before that were, um, I think the, the Moonshade trilogy was before that, and maybe Spellfire, um, and, of course, um, Bob's novels. Uh, for, for Crystal first, Shard. Crystal Shard, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the gods don't play a super strong role there except for the Moonshade trilogy, and, and that's a very unique case. Um, and uh, so in the Avatar Crisis, um, basically, uh, Merkel, Bane, and Ball steal the Tablets of Fate, and that causes this, the Ao to come down and throw everybody out of the heavens, and they all fight in the world and all that kind of a thing. And at the end of that, um, Ao kind of uh, um, cleans house, and everybody um, is, is sort of set back to normal. 
but then it sort of provoked uh, in later stories more and more um, plots that revolved around the gods doing X, Y, and Z and appearing in the world and basically acting like mortals and talking to one another. And there's a, there's a scene in one of the novels that I, I forget which one it is, but, uh, you know, I think it's um, Loth and another deity playing chess. Uh, I mean, it, <laughs> um, it, so it's important to sort of note that over time, the depiction of the gods, both in Forgotten Realms and in D&D in general, has uh, had an enormous amount of uh, flux depending upon how the rules viewed the gods. So in first edition, uh, the gods were kind of a thing that you included in your game if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your cleric, you were sort of presumed to have a deity, but it wasn't really an important part of your character. Um, you were a cleric, and you had some spells, and that was basically it. And, right, and it didn't matter which god you, yeah, you was, worshipped uh, back then. Right. And in second edition, uh, it in, in it brought in the idea of spheres of influence that the gods had, and that got more complex as the edition wore on. And so different gods gave you different spheres, and that sort of dictated some of the spells that you had and some special abilities that you had. Third edition, that got even more complex. And so uh, as, as the rules sort of imposed more of those elements of um, sort of what the deities uh, spheres of influence are and what they empower the clerics with and so on and so forth. Uh, the stories sort of accompanied that um, stricture of what uh, each deity um, was and how, what they were represented as and sort of em- embodied them in the world. And, and it was a very interesting sort of um, reflection of the two things happening at the same time. And I think with... Uh, um, fifth edition, we wanted to take a step back and say, let's have a more uh, realistic depiction of a pantheistic society uh, than was pre- represented by the rules in the previous edition, and or previous like third edition in particular. And then you know, take a step back, and the Sundering gives us the opportunity to basically say, are the gods alive or dead? Yes. Right. <laughs> so uh, my example would be for mythology, um, something like Osiris uh, in Egyptian mythology, who I think dies twice. Uh, in um, uh, Norse mythology, there's Balder, um, who uh, is is killed either by Loki or by uh, Hodor, uh, depending upon the, the myth. And in both cases, that deity doesn't then just sort of disappear from the worship and the symbology and the stories that the people tell mm-hmm. of those societies, they remain in the, those stories. And it, whereas I think in third edition, there was this sort of assumed, like if a deity dies, they're dead. They don't give anybody power. Ergo, everybody knows suddenly through some sort of text messaging service that, <laughs> that so-and-so is dead and they don't give you any powers and so on and so forth, which is a very strange idea because... Oh, time to switch to Syrac. Yeah, because it, it just... Like, you know, you have to imagine that in this world, most people who pray to a deity would not have their prayers answered anyway. Right. So if they're praying to a god that is dead and they don't have their prayers answered, that doesn't, they wouldn't tell them anything special about, you know, right, they, right. They, they wouldn't get the text message that says, you know, Sirik is dead. So um, we wanted to have sort of a more uh, naturalistic uh, view of pantheism and um, the deities and so on in 5th edition, and, and that would allow... You know, if, if people want to have in their games a sort of um, uh, Greek mythology style where the gods are coming down every day and doing X, Y, and Z, that's fine. But we also wanted to allow for the ability of, to, to pull back um, in Forgotten Realms particularly and have the stories be more about mortals and less about the gods. Doing and if the gods themselves aren't like counting the number of followers that they have and therefore knowing what their powers are and comparing follower counts and right. similar to... Well, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> or if they are, we just don't care. We just don't right. care, right, yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, there were actually rules in third edition, or second edition, I think, uh, where it was like, if you had so many followers, the deity could hear this many words after their name was mentioned. You know? <laughs> it's a weird mechanic to think about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, also, just in terms of the reality, uh, in fourth edition, we had pared down the Pantheon quite a bit. And I think uh, we felt like upon... Uh, when we talk to our future selves now, we, we think uh, we may have gone a little bit too severe, that a lot of p- 
people's favorite deities got knocked off or just kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. And we just wanted to bring some of them back, and the Sundering gave us a chance to do it. So you, you mentioned a little bit about some of the events they the Sundering. Let's go over those a little bit more with the two planets actually being sundered and right. then yes. somehow put back together. So uh, the world of the Forgotten Realms is commonly known as Toril. Uh, it's actually a little bit more complex than that. It's the world is known has is also known by the name Abir Toril, and that's because there are basically two worlds, Abir and Toril, that occasionally come into conjunction or basically over sort of phase into one another and overlap with each other. And what happened during the spell plague of fourth edition was uh, when uh, when the spell plague came upon the land, it was actually a symptom of Abir and Toril's collision. And the worlds basically traded land masses. Parts of Abir were shunted into Toril, parts of Toril were shunted into Abir, and then they separated. Um, and so the sundering is about that separation. It's about getting the worlds apart again and kind of re- restoring things a little bit more to mm-hmm. how they looked back in the day. Now. When you say that they're, were they on two separate planes? Are they two mirror images of the material plane? Why, why, why is yeah, Abir Toril it's, it's, unique? It's magic, Greg. <laughs> magic. Uh, so the, these worlds basically um, are cohabiting in some ways the same space. Um, but they're kind of like in alternate dimensions. Okay, so it's more like a quantum physics kind of idea. Where right. These are the two yeah. most So in common... fourth edition, for instance, uh, pre- prior to that, we didn't have dragonborn societies running around in the realms to any great extent. But we had dragonborn as a prominent fourth edition race. So we basically said, okay, dragonborn came from Abir, and during this cataclysm were basically transposed into Toril. Entire chunks of their society, their landscape were basically... Pfft, plop down in Unther and in other places. Mm -hmm. And so that was our way of saying, hey, Dragonborn are in the world. And it was a logical way because this Abiratorial thing had been framed much earlier than 4th edition. Yeah, so that was, okay, so yeah, where where was that initially framed? Maybe maybe you can tell us, Matt. Um, Well, the Abiratorial thing goes way back, uh, and there are elements uh, of um, sort of land masses uh, changing and switching, and dramatic sort of changes in the continents happening. There's actually an earlier thing in the timeline called the Sundering that was uh, provoked um, by the elves in the ancient past. Uh, I believe it's the elves anyway. Uh, And um, so, you know, there's that, that, that idea of massive change and cataclysmic events happening. Uh, echoes back throughout the timeline for a really long time. I mean, if you go way, 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 way back to um, the times of like the creator races and that kind of thing, um, you know, the the continents of the planets, uh, there's maps of it, uh, are entirely different. Mm. And it's not different in a Pangea kind of way. It's <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> There's no way to explain how that landmass was there one year and then not there the next. Yeah, that's, it's, it's just com- completely yeah. different. So... Um, you know, the the sort of the the creation of the Sundering story uh, for fifth edition allowed us to sort of weave some of those threads together to get us to where we wanted to be. Where uh, it's it's more a world more like uh, you see in in second edition, uh, but we aren't sort of discarding all of the events that have happened already. Mm-hmm. We aren't saying hey, third and fourth edition, all these novels and all these games and things didn't happen. We're, we're, we're sort of continuing the tradition of the, the original setting. Yes. Got it. All right, so then those two worlds... Uh, uh, they are now divorced. They are sundered. They are sundered, as it were. Yes. Yes. Uh, Toril is off spinning on its own again. Now, can you travel to a beer uh, if you're on tour? I, I, In theory. Yeah, we don't... We don't dwell on it, but absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Dungeon Masters could use that idea mm-hmm. to introduce, you know, things Weird that appear in monsters or threats. Yeah. 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 And there are also still bits of a beer trapped in Toril after the Sundering. A beer and so will never find their way back probably to their, their home worlds. And some or those, don't want to. And some of those are the Dragonborn, of course, right. who are still left. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, and have become, exactly. uh, you know, Aaron M. Evans in her yep. books has explored their yep. history and where they came from. Exactly. And, and what they're doing now. Right. 
Um, so all the toys are there to play with. We've just sort of calmed things down. And I, you know, I never want to say we're never going to blow up the realms again, <laughs> but I think where we landed this time gives us some comfort and hope for the future that we won't have to do anything yes, monumental. That's certainly my firm hope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yes. even, even with like an Steady addition. Steady as she goes. <laughs> yeah, right. Even with an addition change, I hope we wouldn't th yeah. you know, then again use that as an excuse to yes. sort of blow up the world. I, I just, so the world as it is now, there's some things that have changed. The, the gods themselves, uh, were they commanded by AO to be less influential in, in the everyday goings-on of the world, or is that a byproduct of the Sundering? Yeah, so what more or less happens at the end of the Sundering is that, um, you know, Ao kind of takes the Tablets of Fate, which were this major thing in the Avatar Crisis, and that are, were sort of the, uh, the thing that, again, sort of is at the focus of um, the, uh, the Sundering, and, and you know, I believe he, he basically just crumbles them up, right, and and says, you know what, this this is this is nonsense. This whole tablets of fate idea. Yeah, this whole thing's bunk. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I, I think it was just sort of you know from a um, it's Ao's way of putting the gods on on notice that essentially you know uh, I'm in charge and I'm not going to let you just muck about with things anymore. Mm -hmm. So everybody step back. And I don't think that that prevents us from having uh, stories where one god or another in some way steps back into the world and starts mucking about. Uh, but I think it, it puts things in a different perspective. So I think a great example is uh, the Rise of Tiamat storyline where the big threat there is, you know, oh no, Tiamat, this goddess of dragons, this, uh, you know, basically demon lord slash goddess of dragons, is going to be brought into the world. And there's an enormous amount that uh, mortals have to do in order to make that happen. They, mm -hmm. have, they have to sort of get these, gather these amazing, you know, sacrifices and all these people and all this treasure and, and this giant ritual. And all that stuff has to happen to make, bring the god into the world. Whereas uh, I think in, in previous ver versions of the realms, the gods would just send down avatars willy-nilly, and they would have multiples at a time, and they'd, you know, X, Y, and Z. Whereas now I feel like the gods, in general, if they're going to talk to mortals, they're speaking through signs and riddles, and uh, it's much more metaphorical and uh, that kind of a thing. Cool. All right. Well, a lot to, to plunder there for uh, Dungeon Masters and players alike, so thank you for that. Um, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Radio. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, that was an interesting little bit of lore. Uh, not even a little bit of lore. That was a, a lot, lot of, lore. of bit of lore. You might have to do another one on the gods. Yeah, so much. I think it, 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 in 2017 we'll do more. That is like you know, here's a couple of gods. Yeah. Uh, and really dive in because there's there's a lot there. I think people would dig that. Hey, people, let us know uh, via Twitter and you know the, the podcast. Uh, on iTunes God. and all the other stuff. If you, if you would like to see more about the gods and you're so what, what gods in particular you would like. You're so smart, Trevor. Oh, man, I learned it from you, man. We should really have you on the on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I, until until I can break in those numbers that Shelly rakes in. I don't think... Don't, 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 don't worry about it. Shelly's got nothing on you. Uh, <laughs> he said... <laughs> he said looking at Shelly Mazanova. Yes. Uh, so let's just jump right in. Uh, we recorded this uh, interview with David Eddings uh, hot. We got right into it. Yes. He called us up. He has a very uh, uh, small amount of time to talk because uh, he's a busy guy. Busy he's working. Guy. He does a whole bunch of like other stuff, business development, which I'm sure he'll get into in this interview. So let's, uh, let's get right into it. Now, yeah, let's curious. let's just do it like WTF or, or Nerdist style and get right into it. Uh, so yeah, who, who who are you and why should people care about you? Well, first of all, nobody should care about me whatsoever. <laughs> Already, you're, you're starting with false pretenses here. Uh, but my name is David Eddings. Um, I am the vice president of uh, basically BizDev at Gearbox. Uh, I have a few different titles, but VP of Strategic Partnerships and Licensing or Business Development or whatever suits at the time. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I'm a I'm you know I'm I'm one of those executive paper pushers that's been behind the scenes uh, for most of my career. Uh, but the only reason, because uh, no, and by the way, nobody likes meeting that guy at a party. Right? <laughs> um, the only reason that anybody would even care to listen to my voice today uh, is because I also happen to voice some characters in 
uh, video games that have become rather popular. And while I've been doing voices for my friends' games uh, for uh, even longer than I've been in the industry, uh, it just so happens that in the last, my goodness, it's been the last seven years now that uh, we have uh, Borderlands. And in those games, that series, I voice TK Baja, Uh, which that that blind one-legged mission giver uh, right outside of Firestone. He's like, (laughs) you should have seen the look on your face. (laughs) You know, and um, also nobody really cares about him that much. And then I voice this other little character that is kind of like a sidekick. It's a little bit annoying, and his name is Claptrap. (laughs) And and, and then when people find out that I voice that character, they definitely run. So uh, you get different levels of like, yeah, I really don't care to, oh, sh- I'm just going to get out of here now. So uh, that's, that's kind of what happens when people meet me uh, in person. But, that's but awesome. Some people like that trap. Uh, you know, it's kind of, he is an annoying character designed in that way. Uh, he's also endearing, also designed in that way. Mm-hmm. I hope that he strikes the balance with most people. And it doesn't hit one of you know uh, too much on one side or the other. But I read but that yeah, in, in an interview that uh, that your developer friends cast you or asked you to to voice Claptrap because of your uh, uh, qualities that you just mentioned. I'm hoping the annoying and endearing <laughs> are also balanced uh, within you. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I'm not going to say that I'm ne- I, I, you know that I can't be annoying because uh, my wife would certainly have a number of things to say about that subject. But, um, <laughs> we should get her on the phone. That I, you know, I I, uh, I enjoy cartoons. I enjoy video games. I enjoy uh, the 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 characters. And um, when Randy uh, Pitchford asked me uh, to uh, to basically take TK Baja and and Claptrap and do whatever I wanted to with them, uh, you know, we I spent some time with him asking what the characters are were supposed to do, and then I figured out what the personalities would be. So I didn't actually audition for those roles whatsoever. Um, <laughs> they were handed to me. Nice. They were handed to me, and I was told that they are yours. You do with them what you will. Now, of course, nobody had any idea that Claptrap was going to blow up like it did, and uh, he's become the de facto Mickey Mouse for Gearbox, if you will. Yeah. And you know, one of my jobs being the licensing guy is I get to license out uh, you know uh, the property, the IP for toys and comics and novels and movies and things like that, and um, you know. Uh, Oh, lo and behold, the licensing guy who uh, who voices Claptrap also uh, has come to find out uh, Claptrap's the most uh, the most popular character in, <laughs> in uh, you know in Gearbox licensing. Uh, coincidence? Yeah. You know. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure there's, there's nothing nefarious going on there. Um, I, 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 it sucks because I try to push any other character other than Claptrap. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> and the retailers are all like, no, 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 we want we want more Claptrap. So, I think now I think uh, there's five different Funko Pop vinyls. Of uh, of claptrap, I think uh, Batman is the only character that has tied me oh in that gosh. regard. No, so, that's hilarious. Uh, yeah. So, have you uh, used uh, those nope. uh, those voice acting skills in your in your D and D games? You know, I, uh, <clears throat> I I do I do my best. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say that I have skills per se, uh, but uh, but I I, I, uh, I do like to play the characters when I when I play D and D, and and I don't normally do like the normal naming conventions. For instance, right now the character that I'm playing, and we. We actually have a, a game that we play here at Gearbox. Oh, nice. Uh, and uh, we do it at 5 o'clock uh, our time, which is uh, in, uh, what is that, in 18 minutes or so. It just so happens that work is actually getting in my way, of, getting in the way of my D&D game today. <laughs> but the character that I play right now in this particular game uh, is uh, Eddie Wizard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Is, is he a wizard? Uh, yeah, Eddie Wizard, you know, like Eddie Izzard, whatever. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it was Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Wizard, uh, high elf on the shelf. Uh, just trying to do some Christmas time stuff. Uh, <laughs> other characters have been like, uh, you know, Wizard of Ed, uh, a different, you know, I, I just kind of completely just disregard the naming conventions and I just kind of go with my own pun. Yeah, that seems like a very that, Borderlands that, uh, thing yeah. to do. Yeah. And in doing, in doing that, it, it opens it up to uh, so much more characterization, you know, and you can really have fun and play with it. And um, yeah, it's fun. Now, nice. I, I have a little bit of a confession to make, if I may. Go for it. Because when you asked me that you wanted to talk about, uh, you know, me and playing D and D and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, I uh, I've been around D and D, and I remember the very first time that I even saw it. I remember the day; it was a Wednesday in 1980. Wow! Uh, and it was uh, April the 21st. Uh, no, no, pardon me. Uh, May May uh, the 21st. Excuse me. That was uh, a month off. Uh, <laughs> uh, May the 21st. It was the day that, that Empire Strikes Back came out. Oh, okay. And my father, I was uh, I was in fifth grade, I believe, at the time, 
my father took us out of school, me and my uh, two of my younger sisters, the other one uh, was, was a little baby, and, and uh, uh, we went to see the first showing of Empire Strikes Back. And in fact, I've seen every Star Wars movie on the first day that it opened up or available to see, except for the very first Star Wars, which I saw a few days after it had come out in 77. I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'm 45. So, oh, wow. Uh, so we, we were standing in line. Back then, you couldn't just you know, buy a ticket. And, and hold on to it and come back later and, and you know, go to your thing. You, you bought your ticket, you walked in the theater is what you did. And so they were selling all the tickets, and then uh, they ran out of tickets. The one person right in front of my father, they told that person, like, oh, sorry, we just ran out of tickets, so you're going to have to wait two hours to buy a ticket until, the, you know, the, basically the theater empties. So uh, my, my mom was, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> it, was out, it was hot in, in Houston, whatever, and she had uh, little kids, she was toting around. So we had to go find something to do for two hours while my dad waited in line. So we're in the strip mall, and we walked down. There's a, there's a, there was a board game shop, and it wasn't like the normal thing. In fact, when we walked in, we were thinking it was going to be like Monopoly and Sorry and stuff like that, right? Right. And, and I saw the Gary Gygax, uh, the, the magazine, basically, that really cheap-looking uh, fanzine-type stuff that was just really, really cheap quality. And there was a drawing of this lady with the dragon and... And I just immediately went to that. My father was, at the time, was doing, was inking stuff for, uh, sorry about that, I think it was an email alternative. No was inking stuff for, uh, was inking Red Sonia uh, for Marvel, uh, uh, the time Frank Thorne was penciling it. And so I was seeing that kind of stuff, and I thought it looked like, you know, my dad's art, um, uh, the Conan Red Sonia type stuff. And so I went and grabbed it, and I picked it up, and I started looking through it, and it was really, really cool. And I was like, oh, I like this, and I didn't even know what it was yet. <laughs> And then my mom was like, oh, no, no, we're going to go to the movies here. Put that down. We'll come back later on. We never came back. And it just so happened that my father jumps from the comic book industry to becoming an evangelical preacher, (laughs) which which is, yeah, which is um, very, uh, which is, it's very interesting to, you know, but it's just another form of entertainment. Uh, You know, he's doing a one-man show every week. Hey, everybody, I got some new material this week based on some really old material, you know, <laughs> entertainer. Um, and right around that time, growing up in Texas, we started to move around from Houston to like Georgetown and starting to, to Maybank and starting these, these little churches. And all of a sudden, D&D was like the thing you could not let your kids be around at all. Of course, right. You know, if your kids are playing D&D, then they must be doing drugs, and they must be, they're ready to commit suicide right now. Either <laughs> that or they're going on a murderous rampage anytime now, right? You know, right. It's, it's the clicking talk, right? Or ticking clocks. Clicking, yeah, I like the clicking talk better. Clicking talk. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, so all of a sudden, you know, I'm growing up, I'm in these like really small area, you know, towns, would one time I didn't even have a stoplight, and I, you know, and, and I'm looking. I'm a I'm a nerdy little kid who's you know playing on Timex Sinclair, uh, you know, little computers and <laughs> and in televisions and you know stuff like that. And and uh, I'm you know, and so my D and D that I got was playing like the Intellivision game, if you will. A lot of that at that age, oh, okay. that was the one that I could play. But uh, but anything else was like, oh, that's so of the devil, you know that that uh, it was. It, it, I mean, you guys know about this history of yeah, yeah, of right? course. And, but and it, what, your uh, your father even having a background in, in comic books, he still felt that way, or was that just what the community was like? You have to realize what he had done is he did a one eighty. Oh. So he went drawing, drawing uh, you know, scantily clad women uh, in chainmail bikinis, you know, lopping off the heads of of, uh, you know, goblin orc type creatures type stuff, whatever. Right. And, you know, you know, other, other humans and to, um, to like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to focus on stuff that's going to be wholesome. And by the way, D and D is totally out. Right. You know? Yeah. Now, my, yeah, if you ask my parents now, you know, they, they were realizing like that was, that was ridiculous, but back then they didn't have the, you know, the internet. I think it would probably even been worse, but, uh, you know, you just, people were talking. Right. And I think Jack, Chick came out with that that D and D right uh, little uh, track whatever <laughs> and, darkest uh, dungeons so or whatever it's called. Time, I couldn't I couldn't be around it at all, and it killed me because I knew people that played it and I wasn't allowed to go over there and play yeah. with them. I was in the same so, boat when I was a kid growing up in the 80s. It was very much the same. I had a very Catholic background, and uh, I had to fight through that. In fact, I didn't start playing until I was like an adult. Is that what happened to you? Yeah. That's exactly what happened to me. So I don't have as many years playing this, um, and I've actually been able to. Oh, man. We're just getting down away. That's a very clap track Everybody's... type thing to happen. Yeah. yeah. Don't they know that I'm actually talking to you guys right now? Why are people trying to reach me? Super ah. important. Super important. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, so it's become something that for me is something that I've, I'm enjoying now as an adult, which I didn't get to enjoy when I should have been enjoying it as a kid and an adult. But so I've been, it's more of a recent thing for me than anything else. Oh, that's so, cool. Uh, it's, but it's been fun and it's cool. And I, and I, I look back over my childhood and I go, man, all those times that I missed out, I could have actually had something to fill my imagination with other than, um, well, you know, MTV was coming out of time. I also couldn't watch that, but at least I could sneak and watch that. You know? <laughs> hey, I feel like I feel like I'm, we're like kindred spirits. That was the same. I couldn't watch The Simpsons, everything, you know, all that stuff. Um, so when did you actually start playing D&D then? Was it really just in the last five years with 5th uh, edition? Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I, I came here to Gearbox, and um, we, uh, we, we, we have a, a gaming room. Now, we're all about board games here at Gearbox, and, and uh, there's a lot of board games out there. But uh, what I did is I, I asked some of the guys... We have a, 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 a guy named Philip that's um, an amazing dungeon master, and uh, he's, been, uh, he's been running our games here at, at Gearbox. And we have a full set of like miniatures from uh, Warhammer 40K nice. um, and that we have. And we have this custom gaming table as well uh, that we uh, – this huge, huge, giant, solid table. Love it. Uh, with the removable top and these drawers that pull out and all this kind of stuff. So we have one down the third floor. And, uh, and that's, this is, that's what we play at, uh, every day at 5 o'clock. Every day or every week? Every, every day during game time. Oh, and, he's and, jealous. And, and unless, unless we can't, you know, like, like today, for instance, I have something that's in 10 minutes that i got to go do, and I can't make the game today. So nobody's going to do the game. So if anybody can't make it, then we don't do it. But oh. for the most part, uh, we're all down there playing. <laughs> That is awesome. I think a handful of it, so we we love hearing that from uh, from game developers all around mm-hmm. the, the the world, really. Who are like you know that's their leisure time, but because it, it still gets you know the creative juices flowing, it lets them think about mechanics in a way that's uh, uh, totally different from uh, a lot of other games, uh, you know. But and then you see RPG elements filter into things. I mean, that was one of the big things about Borderlands was that it was bringing an RPG type style of play to uh, uh, a game type that didn't have that, that a lot of that stuff. Yeah, that's something that we're pretty good at is, is mixing genres. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, with, like, Brothers in Arms, it was a – some people call it an RTS, first-person shooter, but really it was a turn-based strategy, first-person shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but then, you know, with Borderlands being an RPG uh, shooter or a first, uh, you know, um, yeah, role-playing shooter, I guess, is the, is the way that we ended up uh, calling, the, calling that. But, you know, for me, growing up, you know, playing video games and then – Having um, lived in Mesquite, Texas, and I graduated from North Mesquite High School, uh, two years after I graduated, this little, this little company comes in. They call themselves ID Software, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and they moved right next door to the, to, to the high school that I went to, and they were dating the, the you know, the girls, the guys from Shreveport were dating the girls that, you know, that were friends with my sisters and stuff like that, and, and I got to know these, you know, these dudes from Shreveport, Louisiana that uh, called themselves ID Software, and, and then... Um, that's kind of how I got in the industry. It was just kind of being in the, in the, the same proximity and uh, these people becoming my friends and then pulling me in and whatnot. That's so cool. first-person shooters, you know, I just I was playing the hell out of them. I mean, we, right. They were created in my backyard. And every time that I would play something else, I'd always know, I'd be like, you know, I just wish I had that first-person experience because it felt so visceral when, mm-hmm. when you're running, um, you know, and you're looking out your own eyes basically through a screen. And, um, and so, you know, I've been looking. And, in fact, it was funny when right around the time that we were working on Borderlands uh, Fallout happened too, and I remember playing Fallout, going, "Oh wow, look at this!" And then you know, I'd miss, so I'd be dead, you know, aiming dead on, and then I'd miss because <laughs> of the vast system. And I love the Fallout series of games. Don't get me wrong, but I just, you know, even playing that, I was like, because that came out before Borderlands, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like you know, I want to know that when I shoot it, it's going to hit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I'm if I've got dead aim, right? Uh, I might miss too. That's fine. But if I'm dead on, I want to know that my, my bullets fly straight. It may not do as much damage. And so that's what really Borderlands is. Borderlands is, is kind of the opposite of what Fallout is, but offering the same thing. It's, it's, you know, Fallout's more of an RPG shooter. I think ours is really more of a shooter RPG, if that makes sense. I'm not... But, uh, yeah, that totally makes sense. But going yeah, back to what you were saying about uh, id Software, I mean, a lot of things have come out in the last year or so about how Doom was inspired by, you know, the D and D campaigns of uh, of uh, the founders of John Carmack and stuff playing. Did you were you around when they were playing in those D and D campaigns back then too? So I wasn't around when they were playing when John was playing D and D, but but I spent a lot of time over at Adrian's house and uh, Adrian Carmack, um, and Adrian's a good bud, and and uh, I can tell you some of the crazy. I mean. You know, it, it, you know, he's the one that created the art style, if you will, for mm. for uh, Doom. 
right? Nice. And uh, obviously there's some, you know, I mean, it's a game about demons, you know, and, and what, where else are you going to get your your uh, your demon fill except for D&D and maybe a couple, you know, the, and the Old Testament maybe. <laughs> you know? Right. I really don't know where, where all you're going to get all this stuff. So uh, uh, maybe some, some old literature or something like that. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's there's clearly an influence there, and you can see that in the art. You can see that in, in, in just the subject matter they were talking about. Very in, much so. um, in a similar vein, uh, has any of the D&D game stuff you guys done ended up in Borderlands? Because I know you guys had, like, you know, the Tiny Tina's Assault on uh, Dragon Keep, which was, to me at least, very D&D influenced. They sit around and start playing a D&D game. But has anything oh, you guys have ever played... Go ahead, sorry. Yes, yes, it was. In fact, I, I, I contacted uh, you guys saying, like, hey, uh, I say you guys, I'm Wizards of the Coast. Uh, <laughs> Us and, specifically, and we yeah. Wanted legitimize, we wanted to legitimize that uh, so much uh, with uh, Assault on, on uh, Dragon Keep because it, are you, I mean, it was totally inspired by D&D. &D. Oh, yeah. Absolute D&D. &D. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to be able to call it, uh, we wanted to create a D&D &D module uh, for it uh, and and just give it to uh, Wizards of the Coast just 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 to have it be a part of that. Yeah, man. And actually, even Bell's um, Bell's blessing to actually have D and D in the game itself. Uh, you know, just as 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 a freebie, right? You know. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, there's a lot more people that that have to make that decision. You know, on our side, it's really easy because we're an independent developer and we own Borderlands. We can be like, yeah, let's do it. It's cool, right? Right. But you guys, there's a lot of layers of red tape between Wizards of the Coast and I think uh, Hasbro and everything else, right? So not yeah, everybody absolutely. gets it when we want to do some cool stuff and hey, let's take your brand and and let's put it in our game and nobody, yeah. <laughs> you know, while <laughs> I think Wizards of the Coast was in all, it was all over it, it was Hasbro that was like, wait a second, you know. <laughs> Next time um, it happens, just call uh, me and ask me and I'll, and I'll say yes. Yes. And, I, and I'll, yeah, deal, I'll, I'll deal with the fallout. Yeah, get to the fans. <laughs> yeah. Get to the fans behind the suits. It's like, Trevor, did you commit this? Like, yes, I did. You're fired. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was my one contribution, and I feel really good about that. This makes sense. Now, I'll solve the sword for you. I just want to see that happen. Yep. <laughs> right? Pretty much. Absolutely. Well, I know we only have you for a couple more minutes, but I, I think it would be remiss uh, not to mention, uh, is, it, is it your uh, great-grandfather who also wrote, was a fantasy novelist as well? Or oh, just your grandfather? My great grandfather, um, that's David Eddings, the author, is my cousin. Oh, cool. Um, he, is, he was 40 years older uh, than me when he passed away about seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's interesting. You know, my, my whole family, all the Eddings men have been in uh, entertainment. My, my, great, <laughs> my, my grandfather was a um, country western musician. Uh, he went by Eddie Eddings. Uh, wrote some, my, he and my grandmother actually were songwriters and musicians. And you know, George Jones and Jeanette Hicks have covered my grandmother's songs. Uh, I know some, my grandfather played with like Jerry Lee Lewis and uh, Marty Robbins and George Jones, Willie Nelson. And, wow. and, uh, and, and uh, you can find some of his stuff, my grandmother's stuff, like on Spotify or whatever, you know. Uh, my dad was in comic books and also a rock and roll musician and turned preacher. And then uh, my cousin was a fantasy author. So, you know, when I go to places like, um, like San Diego Comic Con, for instance, and I wear my, my name badge and it says David <laughs> Eddings on it, uh, Either either people know me from when I was knee high, you know, like the George Perez's of the world, you know, and uh, like Davy. Oh my goodness, I remember you when you're, you know, the Frank Thorns or any of these old older. Uh, oh my gosh, they remember you being with your dad going to comic cons. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, and, that's and, cool. You know, like Terry Gamble used to do Superman and next and stuff. You know, these guys, they, they all know. I go to the comic cons and 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 those guys know me. And then there's the folks that think that I'm my cousin. Yeah. Now. Del Rey actually used to publish uh, our Brothers in Arms novel, which I had made, uh, which I got done with them. So I would call into like, you know, uh, Del Rey or whatever, and I was like, hi, it's David Eddings. I'm calling for it. Before I even get it out, they already had me transferred over to my cousin's handler, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then they answered the phone. This was back when he was still alive. They answered the phone. I'm like, nope, nope, it's the better looking David Eddings. Sorry. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and so uh, he got tired of that uh, after a while. But, but for instance, I'll say something really cool that happened. Yeah. This was Two or three, this is three uh, uh, Comic Cons ago, uh, so basically a little over two years. Um, I was introduced to George R. R. Martin and uh -huh. uh, at, on the Game of Thrones uh, yacht party, nice. uh, whatever. <laughs> and uh, George kept me there because he knew my, he knew my cousin. So he was, you know, when we were introduced, he was like David Eddings, like the author, and I'm like, yeah. I said, but he's, he was my cousin, and he passed away about at the time it was like uh, like five years, and, uh, and we in unison we both said it five years ago. And he goes, I know. He goes, I knew him. And I'm like, wow. I said, you know, I meet a lot of people that know my father. I don't meet a lot of people that actually know my, my cousin. Mm -hmm. So he kept me there for like 35 minutes. I had to leave to go do a panel at Comic-Con. And 
Wow. And uh, and finally, I was like, dude, I got I got to go. I'm so sorry. And before I left, he gave me his home address and home number. And like, whenever you're in Santa Fe, you make sure you stop by, and um, which is great. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. But I don't ever go to Santa Fe, so I want to I want to go. And I just say, I was just in the area. I thought I'd stop by, but the reality is, is that'd be the only reason I'd be going. And I gotta <laughs> find another. There's got to be some, even if it's like an insurance convention, at least I yeah. could say, I was, you know. Or even, I mean, right. maybe, make up a reason. Go for some tacos. Yeah, maybe I'm like, just, eh. <laughs> yeah, tacos is a good reason, but also just be like, hey, do you have any other uh, things you want to license in uh, turning into a Borderlands video game? <laughs> That'd be great. You know what's funny? Is when we talked, when we talked, like, like I said, like 35 minutes before I left. Yeah. Never once talked about um, Game of Thrones. <laughs> we never talked. We never talked about border. We never. We just talked. We were talking about all sorts of stuff. That's hilarious. Crazy. A great guy. Um, and what happened? I I didn't even know that I was at the Game of Thrones uh, uh, yacht party, but I was these people that were you know gathering around us because we spent a lot of time talking, right? And mm-hmm. I kept I, multiple times gave him uh, reasons to let me go, and he would keep me there. <laughs> and I kept rec- and I'm recognizing faces, and I you know, but it's Comic Con. It's always you know I've been going for years since I was a kid, so. Then I realized as I was leaving, I was realized like I bumped into this guy and I was like, "Oh, sorry." And it was the dude that plays Jon Snow. Oh no! I- <laughs> what are you doing here? Like you just hang out with George R. R. Martin. And then I looked around and one of the guys that I recognized was in the crowd was the guy that plays the Hound, but his face wasn't all you know scarred. Oh up. yeah, right. Right. And they're you know they're just being normal people and uh, everybody was there basically. It was pretty crazy. But and then you were like, um, "Oh, by the way, my cousin wrote uh, uh, the Belgarian." Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I don't say. I didn't say any of that. <laughs> but, but I mean, George already knew. But uh, the other folks, I, they were eavesdropping. Or right. They were gathered and listening. But that's no, so hilarious. Kind of funny, but, but but having that name certainly, you know, has given me some opportunities that I don't think I would have otherwise. Um, and it, that's been pretty cool. That is but, pretty cool. Did you know uh, your cousin you know, at I wish, all? I mean, was there was there any? Did you know his work, or were were you familiar with with what he did? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, yes, I was familiar with what he did. I never read any of his books because I'm an avid reader myself. I love fantasy. I've read Tolkien stuff, uh, even even like uh, Stephen King's Eyes of, uh, Eyes of the Dragon. Um, but I also fan- fancied myself as a, you know as a potential writer, uh, growing up in the entertainment industry, and and uh, I thought that was an avenue that I could I could I could take. I didn't want to be influenced by somebody that had my same name in a genre that I was that I really liked. Right? Oh, right. I never want to be. A- of, 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 of basically aping my cousin's writing style or taking ideas that, that I might have absorbed from that, right? Yeah. Um, and so I never read, plus I, you know, at that time we didn't have Kindles and things like that, and you carried a book with you. I read all the time, so I was always carrying a book with me, and if I had a book with me that said my name on it, it would look really weird. So I, it, I will say this, though, in high school and in college, there were a lot of girls that thought that was me. Um, <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs> Nice. I remember one time I was standing in a bookstore. They, hey kids that are listening, uh, they had these things called bookstores. You would actually go, and it was like you know you could buy books there. Um, and I was standing, uh, actually looking at the comic books in the magazine uh, uh, section, and it just so happened there was a, a, a standee with David Edding's books there, the new book that he had, that had just come out, and I had no idea I was standing next to it. Just had no freaking clue whatsoever. It's completely oblivious. And this hot girl from. Uh, my my uh, honors English class at the time <laughs> uh, came over, saw me, starts talking to me, and then all of a sudden her eyes got real big, and she kind of looks over my shoulder a little bit. She's like, "Oh my god, I had no idea!" And I'm like, "What?" She's like, "I didn't know that you were a, such a successful author." <laughs> you know, and I look, look over my shoulder, and there's, I'm just standing in front of all these David Eddings books. They're like piled high, you know, the name real huge. And I was, I started to go like, uh, "Yeah," and then I was just like, "Hey, thanks." <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's the that's the and then and then you were in for for forever yeah. after that. Yeah. I, I totally ended up marrying a completely different girl from that class though. Uh, not her, but it was a different one. But oh. uh, but yeah. Hilarious. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time uh, to talk to us. I know you got to go run to uh, to a meeting, uh, but uh, always good to hear um, from Claptrap that uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons is alive and well at uh, yes. at Gearbox. You can always trust Claptrap. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what? Claptrap always has uh, the, the the best in mind for for his friends, right? <laughs> yes. Um, I learned way, that from many like, many of a hand at uh, uh, the uh, poker game that you did as well uh, from oh. from Telltale. Yeah. I tell you what, if you'd like, and if you if you think you can edit any of this conversation down to at least three or four minutes of good material, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm crossing my fingers for you. <laughs> but if you want, I'd be happy to um, 
to actually record something for your show and have it processed and actually, you know, and, and, and as Claptrap, uh, if you'd like, and I can do that um, uh, for you and have it to you pretty quickly. So. Sure. That'd yeah. be awesome. All right, cool. Well, we'll think about that. I don't even know what it would be, but it would be an yes. intro or an outro or Let's anything like that. We'll give it. We'll let, let you know. Let me know what it is. Uh, write it down. I'll clap trap it up. Uh, clap trap it up a little bit for you, and uh, and then we'll have it processed, and then I'll send it back to you. And you can use it if you want to. Sweet. That's awesome. Thank you, sir. This has been an awesome time. Well, guys, I felt like it just happened so fast. I have so many more things to say about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> we'll have to have you on again. Yeah, we'll have to have you on again sometime in the next in nebulous future. That's the best I can do because I, I I'm horrible with time. Go in the nebulous future, sometime that'd be fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Enjoy the holidays, awesome. man. I- all right, cheers. All right. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, so, yeah, David Eddings. Yeah, we're definitely going to get some of that Claptrap audio and, uh, well, you know, yeah. assuming no, no one stops us. Should we, should we make audio. it, like, holiday-themed? I, I don't know. Let's do something evergreeny. Let's do something Dungeons & Dragons related. We could also ask the people about this one, too. We That's true. Like, what would you like Claptrap like clap tra- to say about D&D? Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. What if you could be your DM, like you know, get like a soundboard going on, and be like, "No, critical!" Oh, oh wow! Or like, I didn't you know, think about like, that. You died. <laughs> now, now we've suddenly turned into the claptrap D and D app. Yes, even better. Even better. He's a biz dev guy. I'm sure I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Wait, no, that was great. We're licensing from him now. Crap. <laughs> this is all gone topsy turvy. That's, that's not how this works. How did this happen? <laughs> Uh, well, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Dragon Talk. Uh, you can find me. I'm at Twitter, at Greg Tito. Hello. I'm at, uh, also on Twitter, at, oh, wait, what is it now? I've changed. The Trevor, the underscore Trevor underscore kid. That's right. Um, and please, if you uh, made it all the way through this episode, uh, give us a rating and a review on the uh, electronic iTunes. Uh, it helps out. It definitely lets people more uh, discover this podcast and the joy of RPGs in general. Um, and, uh, you know, hey, give us a rating and review on other stuff, too. We're on Google Play. Uh, we're on a lot of other uh, podcast catchers out there. So make yeah. it happen. And if there's ever anything you want to hear on the podcast that we haven't done yet or you want to hear just dive into something else that we have done, yeah. uh, let us know either on Twitter or, or like you said, through, through the iTunes. So. Or wherever, wherever else you can get a hold of us. Uh, please don't walk up to me in person in like a blind alley and be like, "Hey, Trevor, I want to talk to you." I will not respond well. Unless you're like, you should get uh, uh, the Stranger Things guys on the podcast. We're like, yes, we know. Well, unless you like walk up to me with them, <laughs> then just assume I've heard that several oh, yeah. times. Here are the Duffer Brothers, <laughs> yes. and you're like, "Well, hello. Let's do a podcast." And <laughs> if you're out there and you know the Duffer Brothers, tell them they don't have to be afraid of us. We yeah. love them. It's okay. It's true. We just want to talk to them We have the talked podcast. to the PR people, uh, and they're not connecting the dots. So uh, let's get them. Let's get them on the horn. And uh, The PR uh, people are going to be like, what the heck? Yeah, we want to find out about Barb, uh, what's going on with season two with her, yeah. and, all, and all the above. So. Really, I want to know what's like, how much D&D is going to be in season two. That's right. Come on. Yeah. We have other monsters. Just throwing that out there. It yeah. doesn't have to be the Demogorgon. It could be the Orcus next time. Ooh. Just saying. That's my Orcus voice. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right. New voice acting talents. It's every day. Every day I'm practicing. All right, guys. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Check you next week. That's my new catchphrase.